You are listening to Lone Star Community Radio on 104.5 KCZWLP Conroe and 106.1 KZCCLP Conroe and worldwide on IRLoneStar.com. Thanks for checking out this podcast on Lone Star Community Radio. If you like this show or other shows on Lone Star Community Radio, make sure to subscribe to them on YouTube and iTunes and also Google Play. Uh, If you have any questions about sponsorships or being a guest on these kind of shows, make sure you email me. I'm the station manager. Hi, my name is Dick, and you can email me at D-I-C-K at IRLoneStar.com, or you can call in and leave a message at 936-647-3776. Just want to let you know, we're here to support Montgomery County, and I hope you enjoy the show. All righty, good afternoon. Glad to have you with us today. And I thought we'd hit on a few different subjects today. The agricultural toolbox, we've kind of been through some interesting situations. And in fact, we've had a shelter set up since August 24, dealing with the uh, uh, activities of Hurricane Harvey. And in fact, Michael Potter came in and covered for one weekend there. We we're doing live head animals out there and trying to get things squared away on that part. So it's been an ongoing process. And I, I thought we'd just spend a minute here as we open up the hour here on a program. We'll get into some, you know, some winter pasture stuff, things like that here in a few minutes. But, uh, you know, uh, the process of what we go through on a disaster like this, and regardless if it's, you know, a, a storm like this that devastates a tremendous large area or the Tri-County fires that we experienced several years ago. There's a lot of, uh, you know, just reaction and planning that needs to be in place. And and that's what is good about right now. And a lot of times a lot of folks are busy doing other things and not thinking about that. But, you know, we just right now you take notes and make, you know, make plans as far as what goes on. Uh, as far as our Animal Issues Committee, that's a committee that was actually formed years ago. It's come as out of the governor's uh, emergency management plan, and each county was supposed to uh, initiate an animal issues committee, and ours is in place, and it actually responds directly to our director of the OC, uh, Darren Hess, and then also the go- our, our uh, county judge, uh, Mr. Doyle. Judge Doyle is are ultimately who we respond to in situations like this, but, uh, you know, really it was, it was kind of amazing on this situation here because we actually had a planning meeting on August the 17th, going over our plan, what kind of things we need to be looking at. And then a week later, we were actually implementing that plan and setting up crates and, uh, you know, handling uh, food products coming in, all sorts of materials that go for individuals, whether they're on that site or distributing products to them, to uh, others out there in remote locations. And, uh, you know, it's, it was a, a challenging, but it's, you know, it's, you know, a lot of things going on in this world, but as we've seen, the ability for everybody to respond and help each other out has been overwhelming. And uh, again, we were blessed. We received so many things from across the country. Uh, it wasn't just the state of Texas. We received truckloads of materials from all over the United States, and it was a real blessing. And the fact that uh, people responded like this, and again, uh, uh, we've started moving things towards Florida and helping other folks out. And you know, there's other places of need, and uh, you know, whatever we had extra left over, that you know, it needs to be shared, and uh, those resources not gone to waste. But you know, like our committee is going to sit down here after the dust kind of settles and uh, take notes on what actually happened. And uh, whether it be your family or our, our committee that was dealing with small animals, large animals, uh, lots of uh, different types of livestock, domestic pets. I mean, we had rabbits and chickens and goats and everything else show up at our uh, uh, sheltering center there at the fairgrounds. Uh, lots of horses, and we had lots of dogs and cats. And again, you know, there's things that we go into this and making sure that every animal is handled properly. 
We document when they come in. They document when they go out so we know that they're returned to their owners. So that process needs to be in place. And that's why, you know, for a person who is uh, about to uh, take some kind of an animal, whether it be a a horse or a dog or a cat, to some kind of a center, uh, having information as far as that animal goes, uh, vaccination records. Uh, on our horses, uh, did they have a negative coggins? What's their vaccination schedule? Because we've got animals coming from all over, and if we know that they're in good health, then that puts other folks at less risk as far as their their resources or their their livestock. So again, you know, those kinds of things we need to have records of, uh, you know, documentation when you come in. That makes the life a lot easier on us because we know how we can stall those animals. Uh, small animals when they came in, if they had no shot records, you know, no kennel cough shots, things like that, uh, that puts a lot of other animals at, at risk. And we try to make sure that we quarantine those animals and handle them a little bit differently so we didn't get everybody else uh, infected or exposed to some kind of a problem. So, again, making notes on what we did, what we can do different. Same kind of thing is at your house or your farm or your ranch. Uh, you know, the preparation, yes, Harvey was excessive. Uh, a lot more than what we anticipated as far as the damage and rainfall amounts and things like that. But at the same time, uh, we need we had some heads up. We had some time to start to be proactive and move things along. And again, as a landowner, as a resident, uh, it's our opportunity or our responsibility to uh, you know heed those warnings and take actions. And if you're in a situation there where you know you know you can be placed in harm's way, uh, you know, you may not have the resources of the trailers to move animals. You know, we made some contacts. You need to make contacts ahead of time and not wait till the water's up there knee deep to start asking for help. Uh, those thing, kind of things helping earlier than that. And there's lots of places to move animals to that are out of harm's way. And that's that planning process. I mean, we had folks hauling animals up there north of Dallas and going into Oklahoma. Uh, lots of barns, stables, facilities up there that could house animals and hold them safely. And that way they weren't in harm's way. But, you know, that doesn't just happen at a spur of a moment. You need to make some contacts, and that's that planning process. So, again, where were we short as far as what we didn't have in place? Uh, and, and, again, anticipating the numbers of animals that came in. Uh, and, again, same way as your home plan. You know, you've kind of got some ideas. We talk about having an emergency management plan, you know, how to exit the home, uh, what resources need to be in place, uh, emergency contacts for family members. If not everybody is there at one time, you know, who's that central person we locate and call and make sure that we can account for everybody. And that we're doing the same thing with our committee members. Uh, we've got a cross section of people that serve on that animal issues committee and it's law enforcement, it's veterinarians, it's horse owners, it's, it's county officials and everybody is talking. And like I said, we can count for what's going on, keep a tab on what their inventories are, where we're short uh, what resources need to be reallocated, and then and then move those to areas of need. So, again, having that process there in place, whether it be your own personal situation or when we've got something going on at the regional level, like we're relocating, uh, then knowing where our shortfalls are. And then, uh, you know, did that plan, what in the plan didn't work? I mean, if we had some things that just didn't work and there were an obstacle, that's the kind of things that our Animal Issues Committee, we're going to stop and look at and uh, try to readdress those and make sure we're better prepared for the next time. And hopefully there's not anything as big as Harvey is, but again, there's going to be isolated incidents that will, that will occur. And that's our obligation to make sure that we're prepared for those types of situations. And that comes back to the individuals there at the home then too. Uh, you know, if you don't have like access to a trailer or transportation, uh, that's something, maybe a long-term goal. We need to have that resource there. 
and not so we don't have to rely on somebody to help come bail us out because that's when, you know, we saw a lot of that this go around here. Uh, water started to rise and just animals were needing to be rescued or moved. In many cases, they didn't need to be moved far. I mean, everybody's, you know, the, the quick response is to gather up and haul them a long distance. But, you know, there are areas close to their home base that could be high and dry. We feed them in that location. That way it's less stress on them and we can account for where they're at. So there's different approaches that can be done. And again, they don't have to be moved a long distance, just move to an area that we know is safe, has got uh, some resources to them. We can get to them. We can put food and water out. Uh, we can get fencing as such that we don't have to worry about animal, animals getting loose, getting out of the roadways, things like that. So again, what didn't work, that's the kind of things you need to make note of right now. And then what resources do we need to have in the future? Uh, we were blessed this go around. Uh, again, several years ago, the East Montgomery County Improvement District you know, provided us with a grant, and we produced or purchased uh, 100 medium-sized kennels, and that was our seed stock for when we started setting up on August the 24th. We had 100 of those kennels there at the extension office and got those down out of the attic, started setting up, so we were starting to receiving animals. And again, we were such a tremendous outpouring of resources, lots of food, uh, you know, you know, the, the more kennels, you know, both collapsible, the plastic kennels, leashes, uh, just everything in the world you can think of started coming in, but we needed to have something up front to get that can, that, that station up and running. So that's the kind of things we need to make sure we have in place. And you as a person in, in a home there too, uh, if you know you're going to be, you know, leaving your home, having some kind of a collapsible metal kennel that you, that you can grab and uh, take that with you and then put that up. You know, there were some shelters that we did not have to process those animals in. If you were at a Red Cross shelter, we would have our animal control officers there at that site. So as, as you exited transportation and were ready to get into that facility, then we had animal control folks there able to pick up your dog or your cat and uh, take information on you and that animal so that when we checked it in, we knew exactly who the owner was, where it needed to go back to, and, you know, reunite those when the time came. So... Again, there's a process there, but we do have some shelters that we're allowing animals to stay on site, and it's always a better thing. Anytime you've got a situation there where you're displaced from the home, and I know a lot of our pets are very close, they're good family members, and anytime that uh, an individual can step next door, tend to that pet, and make sure that their food and water is present and they're getting exercised, um, that helps everybody because you can see that. I know that... Uh, we had one morning there where Good Morning America was out at our shelter and they were doing a live broadcast and we had a veteran that was staying in the Lone Star Convention Center and his animal was actually uh, in our shelter site and he was able to uh, leave the shelter, come up there to the facilities about six o'clock in the morning and uh, you could tell that pet, that he had a big old white dog of his, was just overwhelmed to see him again. So he'd run up there each day, the two of them had visited a little bit and then he you know went back to the shelter. But you know, the two of them were able to keep tabs on each other, and it makes a big, big difference as far as uh, the stress on people. The dogs are not under as much stress, cats, and then a lot, the owners. You know, they're always wondering what's going on with that animal. So uh, it's really critical that uh, we you know, look at those types of things. And again, I mentioned earlier on as far as livestock, and, and again, the, the, the state lifted our negative Coggins requirements. This, this go-around during an emergency situation, they did, but... You know, in a situation there where an animal is picked up and moved from a site and goes to a quarantine or go to a receiving station, by law, that animal is supposed to have had a negative cognizance to be out on the road. And if it winds up at a shelter or something like that, and by law, then it's actually have to have blood draw and a negative test run before it leaves that facility. So if you've got that documentation in place, make sure that you've got that with us. So when we do show up at a facility, 
we've actually got that documentation with us and we don't have to worry about it. But again, uh, with Hurricane Harvey, the Animal Health Commission did waive that requirement so that, uh, you know, we had animals that were having blood drawn. But again, it's, it's good to have that test in place. But, uh, you know, in emergency situations, sometimes that is waived, but can't always depend on that. So if your animal does leave and realizing it, you know, if you don't have a negative Coggins by law, it's going to have to have one drawn before that animal is able to leave that shelter facility. So those are the kind of things to be aware of. You know, your shot records on your livestock. We always talk about the kiddos' shot records. But, you know, again, we've got family members there as far as pets and livestock that uh, there are we are responsible for their health. And that's some of the things that we need to be responsible for. So, you know, take those time, take that time and look at what has happened. I know we're still recovering. We're a long ways from being back like we need to be. But uh, think about what has gone on. Make notes. And as things start to settle and, and life kind of returns to some kind of a normalcy, uh, then you can sit down and, make, you know, kind of look over those notes and see what we need to do different for next time. And just being prepared so that uh, we can lessen, try to lessen the, the amount of catastrophe and loss that goes on. But again, when uh, you got water levels like we saw this go around, it's kind of hard to ever predict those types of things. Well, let's take a break right now and go back for some commercials. And we'll be back with a few minutes on uh, some cool season annuals. Remember to download the Lone Star Community Radio app from your Google Play Apple Store. Bring Montgomery County's Community Radio with you anywhere with your smartphone or tablet. If you are in the Conroe area, tune in on FM 104.5, 106.1. If you are on your computer, bookmark IRLoneStar.com as your internet radio station. Lone Star Community Radio broadcasting 24-7 from the heart of downtown Conroe, Texas. Relax with a cup of joe or your favorite drink for the Conroe Lake Conroe Chamber of Commerce Chamber Chat. The show airs on the first Tuesday of the month at 11 a.m. on Lone Star Community Radio. Join hosts Courtney Galley and Brian Bondi as they chat about the Chamber's events and programs for the month and invite Chamber members into the studio to talk about their upcoming events and businesses. Learn about your Chamber with Chamber Chat every first Tuesday at 11 a.m. A Lone Star Community Radio is Montgomery County's radio station with talk, music, weather, and traffic for Montgomery County. Have a question or comment about one of our shows? Want to know how to reach a host? Just contact the station at IRLoneStar.com or call in and leave a message at 936-647-3776. Get involved with your community with Lone Star Community Radio. All righty, welcome back to the Agricultural Toolbox. I thought we'd spend a little time now, and all of a sudden, like I said, we went from hot, and I guess it's still pretty warm if we consider what's going on outside, and the evening temperatures are not cooling down very well. In fact, we were visiting with some families uh, yesterday as far as trying to feed their livestock for shows and things like that, and, you know, it's so warm in the evening time that animals, the steers and heifers are not wanting to eat very well until it's way late in the evening, and uh, so that's just kind of everybody's suffering right now, but it is time to start thinking about some, some winter feeding programs and uh, whether we're talking about horses or goats or cattle, um, we've got a real opportunity in looking at, you know, the hay that we've got put up or the hay that we've purchased and then also looking at the use of winter annuals. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But I want to mention a couple of things there. We have worked very closely with our, our Montgomery County Soil and Water Conservation District 
And that is a group of volunteers that have got some state funding and you know, local funding that help things out with some of our program and educational activities. But one thing we started several years ago is going to be a forage or a hay testing program. And basically, they are funding the cost of uh, sampling hay. And that way gives an opportunity for producers, whether you've bought the hay, purchased the hay, I mean, or grown the hay yourself and it's in the barn, let's go ahead and run an analysis on that grass and see what you've actually got. Because you may have an idea about what it should be or what it's traditionally been as far as protein level, acid detergent fiber, total digestible nutrients. And, but we can run an analysis on that and find out exactly what the feeding value of that hay is. And that way we can better utilize it. And it may be, and it's a cost savings type of situation there. If the hay is extremely good quality, then we can feed less of it or not have to worry about supplement to go with it. But at the same time, you know, if we're feeding a poor quality hay to an animal and we start to see a loss in body condition, then we have to spend more money as far as, you know, supplement and making sure that we're balancing their nutritional needs. So, uh, you know, it's, it's knowing what we're feeding is the critical thing. And uh, we've been blessed to have the Soil Water Conservation District fund this opportunity for several years. So, again, we uh, anybody that's got a, a hay and uh, whether they purchased it or, or grew it themselves that's going to be utilized for livestock use, you know, let's go ahead and pull a sample on. I do have a couple of coring devices that uh, – or make it really easy to pull samples out of bales, but we're still going to sample, you know, six or eight bales of that load of which you've got you know, there in the barn and have those samples to our office, the Montgomery County Extension office by October the 2nd. And then we'll take all those over to the lab and we will go ahead and have an analysis run. And the results will be back by our program we've got on October the 26th. And uh, Dr. Vanessa Olson is our, one of our forage agronomists out of the Overton Research Center. And she's actually going to be down here that evening. We've got a program that starts at 6.30 in the evening. And she's going to be discussing the best use of winter pastures. And at Overton Center, they do a lot of research as far as varieties, uh, comparing small grains. It would be oats, wheat, rye against ryegrass. And a lot of our legumes are clovers and how those can be utilized. And again, they've got tremendous value as far as a winter grain, uh, a winter pasture type of plant. Uh, is is got typically much higher nutrient value than we see with our warm season perennial pastures. So it's an excellent opportunity, and I'm figuring out exactly what our forage needs are going to be. We don't need to play and plant fence to fence with these types of forages. We can plant smaller traps there and just utilize them for two or three hours a day if time your schedule will permit that. You know, we can turn them an animal in on a, a winter a winter pasture there, and they can graze for two or three hours and meet the nutritional needs of protein and then kick them back out and have them opportunity to chew on some hay and pacify the rest of the day. So they don't have to have full-time access to a winter pasture, whether it be you know, wheat, oats, ryegrass, uh, rye, or a clover. So there's some opportunities there. But on uh, Thursday evening, October 26th, we'll have those results back, and I'll actually have some samples from hay that has been submitted to the lab, and we'll kind of use that as an educational opportunity to uh, look at that say, you know, hay because you know, when you get to, uh, you know, everybody kind of looks at hay and they always, what's the, you know, I always ask them, well, what's the first thing that you consider when you're looking at a stack of hay there or trying to figure out which one you want to buy? And, you know, invariably, it's always the first response is going to be the color of that hay. And, you know, when you get to looking at the true analysis, the color of that hay just means they've done an excellent job of curing and baling, but it has no indication at all as far as the quality of the hay that's inside that bale of hay. So, 
you know, that's an educational opportunity we'll take. We'll provide you some samples of hay and then let you kind of evaluate them, look at them and give your best guess on what they look like. And then we'll turn over and show what the nutrient value actually is of that hay and see if we're on target because I've seen some of the best looking coastal Bermuda grass have a crude protein level of 4% and an acid detergent fiber uh, of about 36%, which means there's almost nothing there as far as nutrient value. It makes excellent bedding material. But uh, that's the kind of things we'll look at. But it's a nice, pretty bale, but it may not have any feeding values. And that's the kind of things we're going to focus on that night, utilizing winter pastures and then feeding your hay appropriately for uh, the type of livestock that you're going to be utilizing it on. So that'll be an excellent opportunity there for you to uh, look at. Another program coming up, let me just you know hit on a couple of things right quick. On October the 13th, the 2017 Cow Country Congress is going on. That's a multi-county program that's gone that is planned each year by uh, you know, seven counties up there. There's Walker, Madison, Leon, Houston counties. There's several of those guys work together to put together a program. But on two th- on uh, Friday, October the 13th, they're at Santa Rosa Ranch in Crockett, Texas, out on 21. They will be doing a program. It's in it's a combination of a ranch gathering and an educational program there with Extension Service and uh, Cattle Raisers Association. Uh, looking at, you know, you're talking about, uh, you know, grazing, animal health, and also has some in- industry representatives there, agricultural industry representatives, as well as state and national elected officials will be there at that time also. So good opportunity there. The program starts, uh, see my note there as far as when it goes, but it's on the 13th and I'm not seeing a time. So you've got to pre-register and then they will get you lined up on that day. But Friday, October the 13th, I know it's a day-long program because I've talked to them with some of them on the uh, educational aspects and planning prospects. And again, uh, Friday, third, October the 13th, they're at Santa Rosa Ranch, and I think it starts about 9 o'clock in the morning. But, you know, double-check with that on your registration. Also, another program coming up is going to be our Southeast Texas Grounds Maintenance Conference. That's going to be on October the, the 19th. It's going to be a Thursday. And again, another opportunity there for anyone holding a TDA or a structural pest control license uh, to get five hours of educational credit. And again, that particular program, we're going to be talking about feral hogs. We're going to be talking about laws and regs update on your licenses, uh, insects in the landscape, uh, then also uh, some of our termites. Again, there's some, you know, not only are they in structures, but they're actually out there damaging forages. And then also an update on the turf and ornamental type of uh, management. So a good cross-section there on that particular program. And, uh, you know, that's it's got a registration for you. You can go to our web our website, the Montgomery County uh, Extension Office website, and download that application form. And I think October the 9th is kind of the pre-registration deadline. That gives us an idea to get program materials ready. And after that, they bump up the fee a little bit. But you can pre-register at that, at the, going to the form on that website. Uh, one other opportunity I want to mention also, you know, kind of planning, uh, December the 15th is going to be a drop-dead deadline for our, uh, I just mentioned about Soil Water Conservation District funding, a forage testing program. They are also going to pay for a soil testing program campaign. And again, same way, we promote soil testing and as a way to figure out exactly what our nutrient levels are in that ground, whether you can be grazing that pasture, raising hay on it, uh, might even be a garden site, uh, but again, knowing what the nutrient levels are at, you know, kind of everybody focuses on nitrogen, but potassium and some of those other nutrients, secondary nutrients are as essential as nitrogen. And, you know, our productivity of that soil is only as good as that limiting nutrient. And if it were to be magnesium, whatever the case might be, if we've got 
a shortfall in that particular nutrient, then that's going to limit the productivity of that, that, that soil. So again, Soil and Conservation District is going to fund a soil testing campaign, and I've already got soil samples showing up now. So pull those samples if you want to bring them to the office, and then we'll take them over on December the 15th and get those guys submitted, and we'll have a program in January where we'll actually review those results just like we're going to do with the forage testing results on October the 26th. We'll do the same thing with soil test results and share those with individuals and show how they compare and how we uh, actually uh, apply nutrients to bring them up to a uh, level of productivity that we desire. You know, you've got things that you want to utilize that soil for and realizing that shortfall is going to be critical. And if we, uh, whether it be a garden or if a hay field, uh, there's a certain amount of nutrients and they've got to be in certain ratios. It's just not the fact that there's some there. And I think most people forget about the fact that, uh, you know, when we're cutting hay off a property, we're hauling that hay away, we're mining that soil. Those nutrients are actually leaving. And unless we run a, a fertilizer spreader back across that property, uh, those nutrient levels are going to continue to go down. You know, you think about a grazed property, uh, yeah, that's a different deal because those nutrients are recycled through the animal and we can apply a little nitrogen. And we'll talk about legumes in a minute. But uh, there are ways to recycle those nutrients. But when we're cutting hay, those nutrients are leaving the soil, leaving that site. And if we don't replenish them, you'll see those fields start to decline, productivity goes down, and then also you'll start to see weed populations starting to show up. So there's a lot of things that go into, uh, you know, managing our soil. And again, it's, it's, you know, the soil test is a diagnostic form. When you go to the doctor, he's got to run some tests to figure out, you know, get a benchmark there, what's going on, and how we come up with a plan. And the soil test is exactly the same way. You know, we can look at forage analysis and see if we're short or our phosphorus calcium levels are not quite in sync. And then we look at a soil test and see what those, how those lows and those nutrients compare up and where our shortfalls are and make sure that those are provided in adequate levels. So let's go ahead and take a break right now, and I'll come back and talk a little bit about winter annuals here shortly. Thank you very much. A Lone Star Community Radio is looking for those who are interested in hosting their own talk show with monthly and weekly slots available on Conroe's FM 104.5, 106.1, and on IRLoneStar.com. Start your own podcast, create your first YouTube channel, and be on TV. Contact Lone Star Community Radio online at IRLoneStar.com or call the station message line at 936 647 3776 to take your first step into the radio world. Listen in Mondays at noon to hear Conroe news from local nonprofits, businesses, upcoming events, Conroe Park events, news stories, and information that matters to you with your host, Margie Taylor of Taylorized PR. For more information about being a guest, visit IRLoneStar.com slash Conroe Culture. A Lone Star Community Radio is Montgomery County's radio station with talk, music, weather, and traffic for Montgomery County. Have a question or comment about one of our shows? Want to know how to reach a host? Just contact the station at IRLoneStar.com or call in and leave a message at 936-647-3776. Get involved with your community with Lone Star Community Radio. All righty. Welcome back to the Agricultural Toolbox. I thought we'd go ahead and visit a little bit now about some of our winter annuals. I mean, we thought about this a couple of weeks ago, but we've kind of been sidetracked with all the activities centered around Harvey. 
But at this time of year, we start looking about looking at planning for and implementing a winter pasture program. And we were just talking about soil testing and the use of uh, nutrients as far as building our for, building a fertility program. And again, you know, we talk about you know, and we can get real close in this part of the world to having a year-round forage program, or a grazing program, I should say. And uh, you know, with the use of winter annuals, they complement our warm season perennials that we've got in this area. Because a lot of our warm season perennials, they can go till almost Christmas if we don't get frosts on them. And then we can actually use some of our Bermuda grasses like Tifton 85 and Jigs as a standing hay crop. So if we complement those types of grasses with some of our cool season annuals, then we can come real close to having a year-round grazing program, less than the amount of hay we need to put up or utilize or feed. Because when the weather gets nasty, no one wants to get out there, particularly throwing square bales. That's why round bales have gotten so popular. But the idea being we still need to provide some kind of roughage out there for those animals. Uh, that does That is where the heat is produced when it starts getting cold. Now, that hay out there, it's, you know, you, they talk about concentrate grains as being uh, making horses hot, but it's actually the fermentation that goes on from hay and long stem roughages that actually produce body heat and keep animals going. But again, looking at uh, our fall and winter forage program, there's lots of opportunities in our area. And that's the neat thing about this part of the country. Um, we do have, you know, temperatures that don't get too severe. So we can utilize a variety of uh, plants to go ahead and complement a warm season forage program. And now is the time to start thinking about that. And again, not waiting too late there as far as sources. I'm not hearing of anything right now as far as shortfall on seed. I know we've seen that sometimes in the past where ryegrass was short. Um, parts of the northwest part of the country were having problems putting up seeds. So a lot of our ryegrass and those kinds of materials maybe were short in production. Uh, which would limit the amount of seed that we've got to utilize down in our part of the country. But uh, Dr. Olson, as I mentioned, was going to be here on the 26th, but she's sending out some information, making us thinking about uh, getting ready for the winter annuals. And again, we've got such a tremendous variety of soils in our area. So you need to think about, you know, is, is this particular uh, oats or wheat or rye? You know, some of our cereal grains are, are can be well used in this area. They are planted a little bit different. We'll talk about that in a minute. But some of our oats provide extremely quick early grazing. So if we've got some separate pastures there, we might look at trying to put some oats in in one area, coming with ryegrass in another, not necessarily going ahead and crossing those guys up or blending them together because they've got different growth patterns and realizing that uh, when we do plant or make a selection, you know, we want to do everything we can in that particular pasture to make it uh, as productive and as successful as, as we can. And one of the first things we need to look at is, you know, variety selection, and uh, if we're in an area that traditionally gets cold weather, then we might want to look at cereal rye because it's very winter hardy. If we're going to have little uh, need an early graze, that's where oats would come in. Wheat is just kind of a good one there in the middle there that has some good productivity. A lot of people will use that. They use cereal grains and realizing they need to be planted a little bit different, a little bit deeper. But the idea being that we need to go ahead and our site, site preparation, uh, we're going to run a forage test or soil test, I should say, and make sure we know where our soil, soil nutrient levels are at. Because a lot of these winter-type plants, they do need extra potassium and phosphorus, so we need to make sure that we're knowing where we're at on that level. And at the same time, then we start looking at that site. One of the most critical things we need to do is make sure that that site where we're going to plant winter annuals is grazed down or mowed. And the idea being that, you know, if we've got a lot of tall standing vegetation there, that's going to shade out any type of winter annual that's going to try to germinate and initiate growth. And our, again, our, a good solid pasture, we've talked about this in the past, a good productive um, 
uh, winter or warm season per, uh, perennial pasture, whether it be uh, ryegrass, I mean, uh, Bermuda grass, uh, Bahia grass, uh, even some of the fescues, things like that. A good solid stand of grass is going to shade that ground and keep weeds from being competitive. Well, the same thing is going to happen in the fall when we're trying to initiate plants. If we've got a lot of tall, tall standing warm season perennial grass out there, the sunlight's not going to get down there and we're not going to have a very successful winter pasture. So in that situation there, we need to go ahead and get it grazed down or mowed as shortly as we can. And that's going to be less than three to four inches in height is what we want to be looking at on those situations there. Once we get that site prepared and we've identified kind of which way we want to go, then we need to look at what we're actually going to do. If we want, you know, and I think, you know, most, you know, probably 99% of the people in this area will use ryegrass as their uh, primary winter annual. And again, the planting rates will vary a little bit on that, but ryegrass is very forgiving. It will grow on a tremendous variety of soils out there, and it will tolerate some shortages in nutrients, uh, but if we've got things right, you will really see it shine and produce a tremendous amount of vegetation during the winter months and lots of grazing into the spring. But uh, when we're looking at those types of uh, that planting material, the ryegrass only, if we're gonna use a pasture like that, we're looking at 25 to 30 pounds of seed per acre. And again, there's a tremendous number of, of varieties out there. And there's tetraploids, there's diploids as far as the genetic makeup of these plants. And you can actually, I mentioned earlier, Dr. Olson's up there at Overton Research Center. You can go actually go to their website, uh, overton.tamu.edu, and they have got variety trials. And you can look at several years worth of comparisons on productivity and see, again, golf is the kind of the, the standard that's out there. But uh, there's Marshall, there's Jumbo, there's Beef Builder. There's a number of varieties out there that some people prefer. And again, golf has been out there for a long, long time, and it's kind of the benchmark. But we do have another, another, a number of other varieties out there that are, are awfully good alternatives. And, uh, you know, if we visit with our feed store and get some of those things ordered, we talked about planning. And again, if you've got another variety you want to utilize, get with your feed store and have them order that product in so it's there when you get ready to plant. Uh, ryegrass again is very forgiving. Uh, we can plant it, you know, from the surface to half inches, half inch deep. So it does not require much cover. And we'll talk a little bit as far as site prep in a minute. In a minute, but then you'd look at the use of those particular pastures, and typically you figure February through March, April, and May are going to be its strongest times of producing a world of vegetation. And again, it, you know, when we get to May, that's when we need to start shutting it down so it does not show a uh, shadow or or overshade our um, warm season perennial pastures. And it might be a situation if we don't have enough grazing pressure, we're either mowing it, baling it, or spraying it with a herbicide like uh, glyphosate and suppressing it so that the Bermuda grass will come on. If we want to go small grains only, that's what we talked about, oats and rye and triticale and wheat. Those are other options out there. Our planting rate per acre is going to be between 80 and 120 pounds of seed per acre. And then realizing this seed is much larger than what we're talking about with ryegrass. So yeah, we're looking at a much larger or much more uh, uh, pounds per acre, but again, you're dealing with a much larger seed. And there was also some site, uh, some planting depth on it. We're looking for an inch to an inch and a half deep. So if you're looking at a cereal grain, uh, throwing it out on top of the soil is not going to be very productive and you are gonna see a tremendous amount of seed not germinate, be productive. And you get a little bit earlier grazing, it's typically available right after Thanksgiving. And it'll go till April, and then we start to see it fade out. It starts to warm up. Day length gets longer, and those cool season annuals will start to fade on us. Uh, the ryegrass small grain mixture, you know, did we cut back on our ryegrass a little bit. You know, looking at 20 to 25 pounds of ryegrass per acre, and you can still keep the cereal grain up there at 80 to 120 pounds. 
and again, looking at April to May as far as those pastures productivity levels. So you look at some, some things there. And then we get into legumes. We talked about that, but ryegrass and legume type situations will cut back a little bit more on a ryegrass, 15 to 20 pounds per acre. That's going to still be you know, a, a surface to a half inch deep. And its availability is, is February to May. When we start throwing in some legumes, that's going to be our clovers, vetches, things like that. Uh, you know, you're looking at pure live seed. Uh, most of that's going to be six to eight pounds per acre. And again, that's going to be from the surface to less than an inch deep as far as planting. We get it much deeper than that. We're not going to see it come up at all. It won't. It was just buried too deep, and it will not emerge. But again, that's going to be February to May on that uh, situation there. And again, got a couple of options there as far as uh, site preparation. I complete seedbed preparation. A lot of people are just kind of they're, they're afraid of damaging their pastures. So when we're talking about a complete seedbed preparation, we're disking that pasture two or three times, turning under the standing vegetation, worm season, be Bermuda grass, bahia grass. And they will damage the grass pasture, but Bermuda grass, Bermuda grass pastures will thrive under this kind of management. And then we're going to come in there, and if we're short on phosphorus, potassium, magnesium, we can apply those at this time during site preparation. Then we come in there, plant, drag, roll, and then we're ready for that thing to emerge. Uh, other situations there is going to be light disking or you know, moderate, uh, you know, minimal amount of site pre- preparation. We're going to mow it, the pasture as short as we can. Then we're going to set those discs almost straight, you're going to run across that pasture and basically cut that sod, disturb the soil some so that when we do broadcast that seed, it's going to be able to make direct soil contact. And that, again, gives it that opportunity to uh, uh, you know, germinate. And again, we can actually drag that pasture or even turn animals back in on it for a little while, let them walk across it, stomp that seed in and help with uh, planting activity. So we can do it that way. And uh, then, again, just overseeding existing pastures, just running across it, broadcasting it, and da- dragging it. That's a third option you can do. But a little bit of site prep does enhance tremendously the amount of vegetation that we can receive out of this pasture. Let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll come back after these commercials and talk a little bit about clovers and their benefit and how they can help us out. Remember to download the Lone Star Community Radio app from your Google Play Apple Store. Bring Montgomery County's Community Radio with you anywhere with your smartphone or tablet. If you are in the Conroe area, tune in on FM 104.5-106.1. If you are on your computer, bookmark IRLoneStar.com as your internet radio station. Lone Star Community Radio broadcasting 24-7 from the heart of downtown Conroe, Texas. A Lone Star Community Radio is Montgomery County's radio station with talk, music, weather, and traffic for Montgomery County. Have a question or comment about one of our shows? Want to know how to reach a host? Just contact the station at IRLoneStar.com or call in and leave a message at 936-647-3776. Get involved with your community with Lone Star Community Radio. All righty, back. Welcome back to the toolbox, and uh, we'll finish up today here talking a little bit about legumes. And again, I, I, it's one of those things that you can't emphasize enough. And I've tried to make folks aware of this opportunity over the years, and uh, you know that's just a tremendous opportunity that we can utilize in our grazing program or our pasture rotation program. But legumes are basically a, a, an annual plant 
that utilizes bacteria in the atmosphere or in the soils there to help fix nitrogen from the atmosphere and change it into a nitrate form that are an ammonium form that animals can utilize or plants can utilize and produces a quality product, protein product there that animals convert into uh, muscle mass. So we're basically building animals, but at the same time, uh, a lot of that nitrogen that is fixed in that plant is made available as it breaks down. That plant dies in the spring and the plant, as it breaks down and turns into organic matter, it actually releases that nitrogen. It's available in the soil for our warm season pastures to utilize. So again, a tremendous aspect that we need to look at, but overseeding, overseeding, overseeding our warm season perennial pastures with cool season you know, legumes offers a variety of benefits and you know, grazing can begin uh, four to six weeks earlier in the spring uh, with our, our grazing because of the uh, uh, reduced feeding period there and the quality of the vegetation that we're offering. Legumes are typically much higher in nutrient value than any grass that we've got out there. Uh, it's just a completely different plant, and because it's ability to fix nitrogen, uh, basically alfalfa is a warm season legume, and we talk about clay cowpe or cowpeas. Uh, those are warm season type of plants, and uh, we're talking also about your clovers and things, or your, your crimson clover. But legumes fix nitrogen from the atmosphere and make it available for the pasture system. And that's the unique thing about these types of plants. And we've got some mechanics that we need to do along the way as far as making sure that this happens. But good standard legumes can help control spring weeds because you've got a plant in place. We talked about our warm season perennial grasses. If we've got a good stand of grass out there, it shades that ground and it reduces weed growth. And the same thing with a good clover stand. It's going to start growing in the fall. If you look at a lot of your wildflowers, they actually germinate in the fall, and they're just low-growing plants until the spring, and that's when they emerge, pop up, and you see all the flowering activity. Legumes are the same way. They'll actually germinate in the fall right after we plant them in you know, this time period now between here and middle of November, and uh, they're going to be low-growing plants, and all of a sudden we talked about their availability starting in February. That's when they'll start to really take off and grow. They're a low-growing you know, low growing plant at that time. Then all of a sudden they'll you know just take off and get some, uh, some height to them, and some grazing ability, and those kind of things will come along. But a good stand of legumes help with control of spring weeds we talked about and because it does compete for water, space, and sunlight and those nutrients. And again, we're going to be recycling those nutrients. We talk about a grazing program. Uh, the growth of those clovers is going to be taking up nutrients, but they're going ahead and break right back down as we, that plant starts to die. For optimum production, prepare the soil, you know, again, you know, ahead of time and make sure we get that site prepared. The soil testing is imperative to make sure one thing we need to look at on if we're just going to use strictly legumes and not going to graze it real heavy, we don't have to worry about a nitrogen source, but we do want to make sure our phosphorus and potassium levels are in line. And one thing we mentioned, ryegrass is very forgiving, but our clovers, not so much on the pH. If we know we've got a pH problem, that is something we really need to address and get it up there closer to neutral. So if we can get it to 6.2 to 7 on those pastures, then we'll have much more success with our clover crops. There's a few that will take the lower pHs, and we've got a lot of soils in our area that are uh, low to mid fives. And again, that's acid enough that it's actually going to restrict the plant growth. In particular, with our clovers, we're going to see a big deal there. Again, your herbicide management also is another thing we need to consider. If we're really going to focus on a good legume uh, program, clover program on our pastures, then we need to be careful about when we're applying herbicides, what we're applying, and and again, there's certain these certain products that have a uh, pretty good re you know, retention in the soil, but we're going to watch the use of your Grazon Peepus, D, or Gunslinger, Milestone, even Grazon Next, Surmount, Redeem, Chaparral. 
uh, you know, even the, the Cimarron, those types of products, they're going to be hanging around in the soil long enough that they will actually impair that seed germinating in the fall. So again, watching those things, either spraying extremely early or back off and not utilizing them at all, or watch those products that do not have any soil retention uh, that'll hang around a little bit while, you know, then that will actually interfere with germination and, and growth of those, of those uh, plants. And again, apply little to no nitrogen if we're going to focus on just strictly a legume pasture. Uh, again, those plants, if we provide nitrogen, then they get lazy. They don't worry about fixing it. And the biggest thing we want them is to get busy and grow and fix a bunch of nitrogen because that's what we're going to look at as far as economic value. Uh, the need for legumes is constantly growing. But if you get to looking at about the industry and we talk about what goes on in our, our, our uh, uh, petroleum industry, you know, your nitrate sources do come from your natural gas. And, you know, years ago, you know, most of our natural gas was about $2 a million cubic feet. It bumped up during, you know, things got tight several years ago, and all of a sudden it's $4. And that's where we saw, started to see our nitrogen sources and fertilizer. Those prices went way up. But realizing that uh, about 10, uh, 16,000 cubic feet of natural grass is required to produce one ton of ammonium nitrate, and that's the 3400. And so the last several years, when we started to see you know, gas, natural gas prices going up, then we saw the nitrogen fertilizer prices going up. And, you know, most of the spread, you know, 30 cents spread from the, the increase that we saw as far as per pound of nutrient. And along with the increase of the, uh, the gas, you know, natural gas, then we also saw, you know, there's other nutrients went along with it. But realizing that ammonium nitrate, ammonium sulfate are direct derivatives of natural gas and we need to utilize those, uh, uh, you know, look at the cost of those nutrients and realizing legumes under ideal conditions. If we've got a good stand of clover growing out there, we can actually place 100 pounds of actual N in that pasture for growth of our warm season perennials the next uh, June. So again, you know, looking at the fall, planting those pastures, getting them growing good, taking care of them, letting them reseed so that we get plenty of plant growth they will you know, fix a tremendous amount of nitrogen in the soil. So four-reach legumes uh, provide, you know, other benefits. You know, again, we talk about the 100 pounds of nitrogen. They also have much more nutrient value and higher digestibility than what our grasses are. And they will be higher in also protein, calcium, phosphorus, and magnesium than what our grasses are. So again, and magnesium many times is a shortfall in our diets and particularly on our beef cattle. And it's something we try to uh, source through mineral, mineral sources, but again, if our legumes can make up that shortfall, that makes it much more easier for us to balance the diets in our animals. But overseeing a warm season perennial grasses, these cool season legumes extend the grazing period and then thereby reduce the, the labor costs involved with uh, those pastures. We can actually uh, continue to graze. We talked about standing hay crop out there in our pastures utilizing warm season and warm season perennials. You know, we can overseed those so they'll get a little bit of a, a uh, Rye, uh, Bermuda grass mix along with clover, so they're not strictly getting a clover uh, diet. And again, that reduces the amount of bloat and problems, the health problems we might see. But having a mix of long stem roughage along with the clovers will balance that diet out, and we can keep those animals growing much better. Uh, again, we're looking at uh, just the way that fixation occurs. And again, uh, most of the uh, nitrogen is most limiting for plant growth. The uh, plants' uh, ability to use nitrogen from the atmosphere. Again, we realize that our atmosphere, 79% of the air is natural gas. And then when we get to looking at plant use, we're actually looking at a movement of the rhizobia that's in the, uh, that is in the soil. And most of our soils don't have a, the exact uh, uh, variety 
of rhizobia in that soil. So that's why when we're looking at buying clover seed, if it's not a pre-inoculated seed, in other words, it's got a seed coat treatment on that seed, you need to buy the correct rhizobia. And that's going to be, there's different families or types of rhizobia, A, B, C, H. There's several rhizobia, and they're all designed for particular varieties of clovers. So we need to make sure if it's not pre-inoculated, that we inoculate that soil with the correct rhizobia. And that rhizobia is critical for interacting with the soil and providing that ability to go ahead and pull that nitrogen gas from the atmosphere, transforming it to ammonia, which is NH3, that converts to ammonia, which is NH4, and that's the form of a nitrogen source that the plant can utilize. And the ammonium is also the same. What we're seeing in fertilizers, I mentioned the 3400 or the 2100, that's the ammonium form. And again, that's the particular formula that the plant can utilize. But nitrogen fixation process between the plant, uh, the legume plant and the rhizobia bacteria is referred to as a symbiotic relationship. In other words, they both help each other. The rhizobia need the root system there to survive. And then again, the legume or the clover is going to be able to take advantage of the uh, nitrogen that's being fixed, more plant growth, and uh, you know, provide a better quality plant for our, for our animals to utilize or just the fact that we might be just utilizing utilizing that particular plant as a green manure crop, as we call it. If I've got a very poor quality site that I'm trying to establish, you know, we oftentimes talks about talk about trying to uh, just provide plants for grazing pressure. There's many soils that we're just needing to increase the organic matter levels. In many of our gardens, you may start off with a sandy site, raised bed, and you start adding things to it. And it's kind of hard to do that on a pasture that's out there 10, 15, 20 acres. But legumes are an excellent green manure crop. Uh, in other words, we're going to let that plant get up. We're going to turn it under, and that provides an organic matter source that we can enhance that soil with. And anytime we start to increase organic matter levels, we see better moisture retention, nutrient retention, and better plant growth. So those kind of things complement each other. We do the same thing with the garden, and we do the same thing out there the pasture. But in a pasture situation, we're not able to haul things out there and go ahead and renovate that. So we're going to use lice plant material to help us improve that soil and produce the uh, improve the productivity of those sites. So again, uh, looking at those clovers, the nitrogen transfer that occurs, you know, that actual 100 pounds of nitrogen we're, getting, we're putting in our pockets and putting in the pasture is going to greatly enhance the productivity of that pasture. But again, look at that, plan your process right now. Uh, again, it's still a little bit warm, but as soon as we start to see uh, 85 degree days, days, time highs, then it's going to start to look at that time period. We can start planting. If we start to wait for those 60 degree nights, that's when our Bermuda grass warm season perennials will slow down their growth and we actually stop the competition that's going on. So we can do some mowing, either excessive grazing, get those things short, and then wait for those conditions to get right so that we don't have hot days that can uh, actually damage a young growing plant, the clover, ryegrass, wheat. Uh, any of those cereal, rain, cereal uh, rye grain or cereal grains that we want to talk about planting. Again, let's look at uh, making conditions right. So cooler days, cool nights, plenty of moisture, getting our soil fertility levels correct for our goals. And then let's see if we can't get some winter pastures up there to help us save on some hay and improve the health of our animals. So let's go ahead and wrap it up for today. And again, we appreciate you being with us. If you've got some questions, we've got lots of materials on our website or give us a call at the County Extension Office and we'll sure help you set some goals and work towards those goals. Thank you for being with us.
Thanks for checking out this podcast of Lone Star Community Radio, Montgomery County's community radio station. If you enjoyed this recording, make sure to check out our past shows online at IRLoneStar.com or their respective video or podcast formats on YouTube, Google Play, or iTunes. If you have any questions regarding the show, either it being about sponsorships or questions for the host, contact the station manager at D-I-C-K at IRLoneStar.com or call the station at 936-647-3776. This show was recorded in downtown Conroe, Texas, at the Lone Star Community Radio studio. And Lone Star Community Radio reserves all rights to this recording and images.